Oh, gracious God, it is a wonderful reality that we are hidden in Christ. That we we bring nothing as we come before you of our own. We, we come in and through Christ Jesus. It is because of Him that we can approach you and you hear us. It is because of Him that we have your Spirit and we can know Christ and can grow in grace. Father, as we open your word today, I pray it would minister to our souls that those who are in Christ, whose names are written in heaven, would rejoice. Father, that those who don't know Christ would see there's nothing to be joyful about. Father, may your your word go forth with power, the power of your spirit. For all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Um, I wanted to deal with a verse this morning in um, the pre-sermon. This is this is really for my home and for all y'alls, but something that I think we've talked about before, but I just wanted to talk about it this week. It came back to my attention and I think it's worth understanding. We know Proverbs is metaphysics. It's the way things are. It's a book of wisdom. It's not a book of promises, but it's a book of wisdom. Not that there aren't promises contained in the Proverbs, but that's not how we read the Proverbs. Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, if we read that as a promise, which is what Christendom has done, at least in my Christian life, my background has had people take this verse and make it mean that if we teach children the ways of God that when they grow old, they won't depart from the ways of God. Almost like it's a promise. Well, it's not. It's it's a warning or it's an encouragement or it's an exhortation. Because if we look at this like a promise from God, there's a couple of things that happen. One is it it gives a false hope. Uh, Think about my own children, my own adult children. All of them were taught the things of God. And if I if I hoped in, I had done that, and therefore they will come back to God at some point. There's there's nothing guaranteeing that. And, and it also can, can cause a false sense of guilt. Well, clearly, if we raise them the right way and we point them towards the Lord and His ways, when they're old, they won't depart from it. And if they do depart from it, well, obviously we did something wrong. So we're guilty or God's guilty. I'm not keeping his promise. It's not a promise. It's it's a warning. The the Hebrew text actually doesn't even have the words he should go in it. Uh, the the word for train up there is Hanuk, which is where you get Hanukkah from. It has to do with dedicating or starting a child. So or starting something. That's what Hanuk means. 
It, it, it means starting a child in his way. Uh, the, the, the words he should go are not in the Hebrew text. And the only person in the sentence or in the proverb is the child. So, so a better, a better way of understanding this would be, um, starting a child upon the way, the, the mouth of his way or upon the standard of his way. What it, what it means is, if you start out a child after the standard of his or her own way, they won't turn from it. So, if you start a child out in his or her own way, they won't turn from it. So if you start a child out expecting to get what they want, they'll always expect to get what they want. What we start our... And I'm so convicted by this. I'm so convinced of this truth. I think of my oldest child. She expects everything to go how she wants it to go. Because as a young child, she was given everything she wanted. She got to decide lots of things for herself. You see, kids have standards. And are those standards wise or foolish by nature? They're foolish. You let them start out in their ways, their standards... They won't turn from it. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod drives it from them. This doesn't tell us to teach them the things of God and they will be Christians. This tells us don't let them do what they want. Don't let them make up their own decisions. Don't let them decide what's right and wrong. Don't let them decide what time they want to go to bed or what they want to watch or what they want to eat or what they want to drink. And and the word there is really not child. It's really youth. So I want to encourage us all with the, the 7 to 15 year olds. As our children grow into adulthood, they have to make decisions for themselves. They need to grow up. They're going to be in their own households. Men are going to lead and wives are going to submit to their own husbands. And and so they need to grow. But at these ages, they need to not do what they want. Unless what they want is consistent with what they ought to do based on your standards or the standards of God. Don't let them start out after the standard of their own way. Because he or she will not depart from it. If they start getting their way, they'll expect to get their way throughout life. And they will have great upset when they don't. So, so let's not think of that proverb as some sort of promise. Let's think of that as, as, as the Hebrew text would have us say. Warning us not to let our children start out after their own standard or their own way or the way of their own mouth. I think about some of the families just in general in this place. And some of our older children, we did a really good job with that in this place. And some of our younger children are kind of doing their own thing. I just want to encourage us, don't let them do their own thing. It's really important. And I, and I have great, I have great empathy or whatever I'm supposed to have. I mean, I, I'm, I get it. 
10, 11, 8, 7, 6. It's a lot, children. And when you got one or two or three, look, it's not as difficult. But if we love our children, we're not going to let them do what they want to do. Because they will not depart from it in their old age. So, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Let's not let our children be trained up upon the mouth of their own way. The standards of their own way. Amen? Alright, turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. We'll be in verses 17 through 20 today. Sermon titled, The Greatest Joy in This World. The greatest joy in this world. Please stand and I will read verses 17 through 20. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but... Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You may be seated. The greatest joy in this world, it, as I was, it's a little different, something I don't normally do. I'm going to spend a little bit of time before I get a text in my own mind, my own, my own life. I thought about my greatest joys. I thought about, I just, I didn't spend a lot of time, but I gave some thought to my life and my greatest joys throughout my life. And I remember getting my first electric football set. For those who don't know, electric football is the bomb. It's a rattling board that these little plastic men get put on and they wobble around and I was so happy. Oh man, yes. Let it be. Um, Seventh grade, I made the eighth grade basketball team. Man, I was so happy. You know, my parents, my dad was about basketball, my family was about basketball I made the 8th grade basketball team as a 7th grader and I was very, very happy. I remember when I was 14, I got my first car. It was a 1974 Ford Gran Torino with glass packs. I purchased half of it with my own money and my parents spent half the money and that's how we got my first car and I was so happy. And it was so loud and it was so cool. I remember my senior year in high school, we were playing against... uh, Aurora West and Aurora West had a very good basketball team with two all-state guards and and so we weren't expected to beat them and I had a quite a good game and at the end of the game with four seconds left I shot a shot I made it we won by one point the buzzer goes off I was elated I ran down the hallway of the gym so excited jumping screaming and shouting I literally passed out in my excitement I was so happy I remember when my daughter Sarah was born. I was I was very happy. It was a joy to have a child. I remember my first month um, in in the brokerage business. I worked at a place called Dane Bosworth, and and we'd have our results put up on the on the on a board every day, and everybody would go look at the board, and so everybody knew what everybody else was doing, and and kind of the goal for a new broker was to do twenty five thousand dollars in gross production in a month. And I remember the first month I did twenty five thousand. I was so happy. I mean, I was just filled with joy. I was, I had made it and everybody knew it. I remember winning 
the member guest golf tournament at Desert Mountain, one of the finest clubs in the country, out in Phoenix, Arizona, with my partner Bill. I was so happy. And I made a lot of money, so that was even better. The birth of my three sons, having sons born, it was, it was, I was joyful. I remember when I got the head coaching job at Davenport Central. This was after my salvation, but I got the head coaching job at, at Davenport Central, and I was, I was very happy. It was, it was very joyful for me to do that. Prior to that, September 11th of 2001, God saved me. And I started to think about my greatest joys since that time in, in, my, in my life. And one of my greatest joys was right after salvation, began a ministry called Hoops for Hope. And over seven years, over 1,500 impoverished kids came to a basketball slash Bible camp. Now, I know it's going to burn up now, but at that time it brought me great joy. I was very happy about that. I remember, I remember getting a phone call from my wife, who had been out of the house for a number of days, and she told me of her salvation, what God had done in her life, and I was, I was overjoyed, so happy. I remember sitting with Pastor Nick at a coffee shop in a bookstore, and sharing the gospel with him and watching him come to salvation and was filled, filled with joy. Filled with joy and becoming the pastor of Legacy Church was a joyful time in my life. It was a scary time and I was changing careers but I was, I was just so joyful. Uh, I get here and I won't have time to go through all of this, so I'm letting no one out. But but I just remember, I remember shortly after being there, the salvation of Greta and of Brad. I was so happy. I was joyful. God had brought me to be a pastor, and people were being saved. My, My mother became a believer. My father became a believer. My brother Steve became a believer. Many years later, maybe just recently, my brother Billy became a believer. Joyful times in my life. The joy of adoption. My daughter Sophia and then Jonathan. When I remember when we adopted Sophia, it was just a joyful time for me. My wife and my family was just filled with joy. Probably my ongoing greatest joy is watching you all be sanctified. And whatever part God has me being used in having you all be sanctified, is it's an unspeakable joy in my life. I mean, I could take the whole time and more and go around this room and talk about each one of you and how I've watched God sanctify you and how joyful that makes me. Look around and see all of the children in here. The great blessing of new life and the joy it brings me to pastor a church with this many children in it. It's a great, great joy in my life. So, so many things that I, and again, that was a short list of the things I thought about. So many times in my life I was joyful and many of these things are very meaningful things. 
especially the things I mentioned that bring me joy after salvation. They're very meaningful things. The other things were pretty self-centered, but they brought me a lot of joy. And So I tried to think about which one was the greatest. What's the greatest joy of all those joys? And again, I was preparing for this sermon, so it was the answer was on my mind, but I had to think about that. What really brings me the greatest joy? What really brings you the greatest joy? Where is your greatest source of joy as you sit here and, and think? So today's passage, we're going to see a couple of types of joy, I think. I think a joy that is to be moderated and subdued, if you will. And a joy that is to be agitated or excited. A joy that is to be more prevalent. So, we see the 70 return with joy. Jesus had sent out uh, these 70 to go before him into Perea and Judea and prepare the way for him. And and they had, they had, they had gone out and they had come back and when they returned, they returned with joy. Kara. A state of joy and gladness, a feeling of inner gladness. They came back and they were happy. They were joyful. They had a feeling, an inner feeling of gladness. They were they were pleased. What why? Well remember when, when Jesus had sent them out back in verse three Go your way. Behold I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So, they returned with joy because they had gone out and none of them had been harmed. We have no report here of any any of them being harmed. They came back and they hadn't been harmed. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. In other words, this is urgent business. Now get out there and do that. Don't worry about your provisions. Not a lot of time for pleasantries. And they had been cared for. They had gone out and they had been cared for the entire time. Verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be the house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So they had gone out and they had found places where they could give the peace of God. They had found places to stay. They had been in certain places where peace was received. Then verse 10, But whenever you enter a town they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know the kingdom of God has come near. They were happy because when they had traveled around, if the if a town didn't receive them, they went out and they, they publicly condemned them. Condemned them. They washed the dust off as a sign of judgment against them. And they they told them, listen, you just passed up on the kingdom of God. He's coming and you rejected him. A very harsh message, if you will. And yet, they hadn't been attacked or killed. They were happy. They had come back. They were joyful. They had had some success in their travels. They, They were protected from wolves and Their physical needs had been provided for. They had healed some. They They had some that had received the peace of God. They had given harsh warnings and weren't harmed. 
Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to power at work within us. This is, they were happy that God had provided way more than they probably had expected, and they came back and they were filled with joy. Their joy was in the success of their journey. They had, they had been cared for. They had been received. They had given warnings and not been harmed. And more than that, they were happy because even the demons are subject to Jesus, they found. When Jesus sent out the 70, he said nothing to them about power over demons. He did to the apostles, but to these 70, all he said was, go, prepare a way, basically, and heal people and take the peace of God with you. He hadn't talked about any power over demons. So the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Even the demons are hupotasso. Subject to, bring under control, to bring something under the firm control of someone. These demons, even these demons, Jesus, they are subject to us in your name. As we are bringing your message, as we are empowered by your truths, even the demons place themselves under our control. Even the demons are brought under control as we profess and confess and exert the authority you've given to us. They were amazed that they had the power to subject demons in the name of Jesus. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They were joyful. They had had success in ministry. And even more than that, they had this special power they didn't know they had. Jesus' response was, He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, there's a few things that he might have could meant here. He could be saying, uh, I was watching you. I know of your travels. And I was watching every time you would profess the name or every time that you would heal, Satan would fall like lightning, like quickly. There's another one. There's another one. There's another one. You know, lightning is something that happens quick and, and flashes. And he's saying, I saw these flashes of, of the control that you had over Satan and his, and his demons. The, the thunder of the gospel, if you will, brought about the, 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 the lightning of the devil being put down. I think... That, that makes sense because it would be in the context, but I also know that, that Jesus could have been referencing Satan's fall from heaven and that he's already in a place that he's under control. And he was just telling them that. If you look at Isaiah fourteen twelve, How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of, son of dawn? So, so this is Satan. This is Satan who, who was, was the day star, the son of dawn. How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. And Jesus also, so he could be looking back to when Satan was banished from heaven. He could be looking forward to when Satan is going to be 
forever banished to second death and hell. But either, either way, what, what he is saying is, I'm not surprised. Don't be surprised. Satan is defeated. Don't, don't be surprised. Don't, don't, you're, you're joyful. You're happy. You've had success in ministry and you've had this, this power over demons. But Satan is powerless in comparison to me. Is what he's telling them. It's not news to me that these demons were subject to you. Of course they were subject to you. He goes on to say, explain demons cannot harm you. He says, behold, you do, look here. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Serpents and scorpions, not actual snakes and other crawling creatures, but, but the demons of Satan. He says, I've, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. This anthropomorphism, like in Psalm 91. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Ezekiel 2, And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Deuteronomy 8.15 Who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought water out of the flinty rock. Serpents and scorpions, they were sent to harm God's people. I gave you authority over them. This power over, over Satan and his demons, he's telling them, just like we see in Genesis 3.15. Remember, we see the, the promise, I'll put enmity between you and the women, woman as he's talking to the serpent. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus is telling them that the devil and his demons, they cannot harm you. Uh, you're joyful. You're rejoicing that they're subject to you. But look, Satan has no power. And those, those demons cannot harm you. Jesus has conquered. He's telling them, there's nothing for you to be afraid of. John 12, 31. Now this is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out? The devil, the ruler of this world, the spirit of the age, the God of this world, the destroyer, the father of lies, the devil, he cannot harm you. These, these 70 had gone out. What's going to happen? Revelation 20, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Don't be surprised, messengers of mine, that you had power over the demons. They can't do anything to you. Remember, the devil is God's devil. He's in complete control. So they were rejoicing over this which was quite a big accomplishment, if you think about it. He hadn't promised it, and to see that happen. But, but the demons, they're subject to King Jesus. When we look at 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, 
looking for someone to devour. So it is true, the devil is real, and the devil does prowl around looking for someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's true the devil is out there roaming around looking for whom he can destroy. But it's also true he cannot destroy you, brother and sister. He can't have you. Christ wins. Christ has won, is winning, and will win. So the devil cannot devour God's people. And that's what he's telling them. I mean, don't be surprised. I gave you authority over the demons. I gave you authority over all the scorpions and serpents. The, devil, the devil's out there looking to devour, but we're safe. Demons are under the control of Jesus forever and ever. They can't have you. They can't devour you. Christ has given us victory over the devil. He can't win. So, the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. We had a successful ministry. And you know what? Even more than that, these demons, they, they are sub- subject to us. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, you're joyful over this. Nevertheless, let me give you a better reason to be joyful. Let me give you something to be joyful about. He says, nevertheless, the word there is plain. It means but, except, a marker of contrast. Okay? You're excited about this. I've given you power over them temporarily. But let me give you something more important. Nevertheless, but do not rejoice in this. Do not rejoice in this temporal victory over demons you just experienced. Do not rejoice in your successful missionary journey. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. They're coming back excitedly telling him, Look, look, look at this. We have power over demons. He's saying it's true. The demons were subject to you. You ought not be surprised because I've given you that authority. And after all, I am God, says Jesus. It's true that you had a successful journey. But do not rejoice in this temporal success. Do not rejoice that you cast out demons and healed people and took the peace of God with you. This seems rather strange, doesn't it? Aren't they to rejoice and take joy in being sent by God and being His messengers? And He's saying, don't rejoice in this. Now, I don't think He's telling you you're sinning for rejoicing. He's telling you there's something far greater 
You're missing the point. You're all caught up in this temporal success. You're coming back excitedly because you've got some, some, some power in this world that you, that you are rejoicing about. Rejoicing in, in worldly success, even if it's ministry success, is short-sighted. It's not enough. It's far too minor of a thing to be rejoicing about. This joy needs to be moderated. This joy needs to be subdued. This isn't what it's about. This this is true that God is using you. That there's something far greater to be joyful about. That you should be excited about. That you should be stirred up about. Do not rejoice in this, in your power over demons. Do not rejoice in your ministry success. But rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Get the picture. (laughs) These 70 messengers sent out by Christ into a hostile environment. They go out, I'm sure, with some trepidation. They're not supposed to take anything with them. They're not supposed to worry about their temporary needs. They're not supposed to worry about persecution. They're just to go out. And they go out and they have great success. And even on top of what he told them, there's more. They had had the demons subjected to them in his name. And they come back excitedly, joyfully talking about it. He says, don't. Rejoice in this. Rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This, I mean, this is such a clear and obvious place. He's saying it's not about this world. It's about heaven. And what you should be rejoicing in is your name is written in heaven. It is not that it's wrong for me to take joy in the salvations of Greta and Brad when I first came, or Pastor Nick, or any of the watching the sanctification. It is that that is just nothing compared to my name is written in heaven. Because at the end of the day, it is about the glory of God, but part of that's about y'all. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is more worthy of rejoicing over. Having power over demons, having ministry success pales in comparison to the eternity that awaits you as Christians. Your names are written in heaven. Juxtaposed to Jeremiah 17, 12. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord... The hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. 
for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Most people's names are written in the earth. Their, their destiny is Sheol. Their final place of eternity is torment in the ground, if you will, in hell. But your names are written in heaven. Your names are written in the book of life. Rejoice over that. To the mostly dead church at Sardis. Jesus instructs John, And the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He says, I know your works, you mostly dead church in Sardis. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Listen, dead church at Sardis, mostly dead church at Sardis. Wake up, repent, live the way you're to live, or I'm going to come like a thief. And you won't know when I'm coming. And it will not go well for you. And then he says in verse 4, Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For the, for the person who perseveres in Christ, we are in the book of life. We are, our name is written in heaven and cannot be blotted out. Rejoice in this, Christian. Rejoice in this. That joy will drive you to remembering, repenting. Not soiling the garment. Even in this this land, this time, this this culture, this evangelical Christian mess we call America, where most of it is dead, we who have not soiled our garments. Our names are written in the book of life and will not be blotted out. Rejoice in this. Rejoice in this. Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The dead were judged based on their works, their acts, their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So there are books in heaven filled with everything you've ever done or thought or said. And these books will be opened. And they'll be opened before you and before God. And you will be judged based on what's written in those books. And you will be judged. You are in the first death. They're going, you're going to have those books opened. You're going to be resurrected. And you're going to be sent to hell because you have violated God's laws based on the record of what you have done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What does that mean about those whose name is written in the book of life? They will not be thrown in the lake of fire because when the books are opened, they will not be judged by the deeds they have done. They will be judged by the righteousness of Christ because their names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in this because if you think about this, we covered this a hundred years ago, but... For some of you, this will be a repeat. If, 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 if we could put up on a movie screen, in this room, everything you've ever thought or done, you would flee this room in embarrassment. You would run out of here so fast. I would run out of here so fast. If you, just if you put up there what I thought in the last week, I would be running out of here in shame. And God will open these books And because my name is written in the book of life, he won't see those things. He will see Christ and his righteousness and he will welcome me in. Rejoice in this. Rejoice in this. This is worth rejoicing over. Really, it's not about you cast out some demons and you had a pretty good ministry run. It's just not even close. Look what you got. Boom. Nope. Come on in. No, really. You see it? Yeah, but I don't see it. I see the blood of the Christ. I see the blood of my son. That's all I see. On the mercy seat. That's what I see. Because our names are written in the book of life. Rejoice. Your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in this. Revelation 21. 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Heaven. Eternity in glory. In the presence of the shining light of the Almighty God and the Lamb, there will be no sunlight necessary. This is how glorious it will be. By its light, 
The nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. All kinds of tribes and nations and tongues will be coming into the glory of God. Where there is no sun necessary. There is no night. The light of the Almighty God and the light of the Lamb shines so brightly. The glory of God is on display. And all kinds of tribes and tongues will be coming in there. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. You see, those who are not in Christ, you don't get to come in. You don't get to come in. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. You do anything detestable, you do anything false, you're not coming in. But only those were written in the Lamb's book of life. The glory of God in His presence where it's so, the glory is so bright, no sunlight needed, no more nighttime. We, we come into the glory of God because we are, our names are written in heaven. Rejoice. Rejoice. Think upon these things. Not about the successes or even the failures of this world. I don't care how bright and shiny America once was or could be someday. It isn't even comparable. Rejoice that your names are written in the registry of American citizenry. Now rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you are American. No, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you don't live in communist China. No, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Who will be able to enter into the eternal glory of God Almighty and the Lamb? Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Imagine that. Rejoice in that. Philippians 4.3 Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice that you will be with the women who labored with Paul, with Clement and all of Paul's workers. You will be with every saint at Grace Fellowship Church. You will be with every saint of all time In the glory of God, rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Nothing on earth is worth comparing to this. Or even, even subjecting demons. Nothing is comparable. This this earthly joy needs to be moderated, subdued. And this eternal joy needs to be excited. I hope you're tracking with me. 
I hope you're thinking about your own life and your own mind and your own spirit. You know, I did and I am. Rejoicing over the things of this earth needs to be subdued. It needs to be moderated. Rejoicing over eternal things for us Christians needs to be excited. We ought to see a lot more smiles on our faces, oughtn't we? Revelation 21, 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. (laughs) You're rejoicing about a little bit of ministry success? You're rejoicing about a little bit of worldly stuff? You're going to be living with God, and God living with you. Rejoice in this. And and this place where God will dwell with His people and His people will dwell with Him, in this place, He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Rejoice! That your names are written in heaven. Because where you are going is to dwell with God and Him with you. In a very real, tangible way. And in this place there is no more tears. There is no more mourning. There is no more sorrow. There is no more pain. There is nothing but eternal bliss. Sinlessness. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Apostle John, who who wrote the book of Revelation as he had these visions of glory and is forever in heaven. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. Rejoice in this. That your names are written in heaven. Again, these 70 come back. They're all excited. Jesus, this really went well. And to boot, demons were subject to us. Yeah, yeah, I know. I saw Satan fall. I gave you all the authority over all of that earthly stuff. You have victory. Nevertheless, don't, 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 don't rejoice in that. 
Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see this pointing to this, to this eternal reality that's continual for Jesus is really clear here. And all this focus on things of now for the Christian... Empty. We, we, I am not telling you, don't take joy in new life. New life salvifically or new life in children. I'm not saying, I don't, he is saying do not. But I think he's simply trying to temper what they're excited about. Because we have an easy time getting excited about what we can see, don't we? We get excited about what we can see. But, but to have faith and have hope in things that we can't see, that are far greater, that are far greater than what we can see, rejoice in that if you're in Christ. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless... Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Closing thought. Any joy we have pertaining to life in this world pales in comparison to the joy we have because our names are written in heaven. Beloved, let us rejoice in this glorious reality. I want to encourage us. I want to exhort us. I want to remind us. I want to push us on to rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And stop rejoicing so much in the things that you can see. Unbeliever, the ultimate source of joy is available to anyone who would put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Will you? Will you? Any joy you have now, unbeliever, and I gave you some of the joys I had as a child, as a young man, I was excited. Any joy that you have now is not lasting, unbeliever. If you know nothing of your name being written in heaven, whatever you have in this world, you have nothing worth rejoicing over. I pray that God's kindness would lead you to repentance. God is kind to the unbelievers in this room. But you have nothing to be joyful about. Because the ultimate joy is found in and through Christ Jesus. Your name being written in heaven. My, my, my joyful memories prior to salvation were filled with lots of adrenaline and I remember them. And I had these feelings of of joy, and as you could tell by what they were, they were all about me. They were all self-centered. And then, after salvation, I have many joyful memories, and they continued to pile up. 
And I, I have excitement about that. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I praise God for that. But that, that is nothing compared to the joy that I have that my name is written in heaven. And this week I got to experience that in a very real way again as I prepared to preach today. Like really got to think about that. Like that, that really is my source of joy, greatest joy. The greatest joy on this world, the greatest joy in this world on this planet, the greatest joy we can have today is not wives, is not children, is not salvation of others, is not persecution or health, wealth, and prosperity. The greatest joy we can have in this world is knowing that our names are written in heaven. It's the greatest joy we can have. Nothing else can compare. Rejoice in it, beloved. Remember it. Believe it. Take the Lord's Supper tonight. Remember our names are written in heaven. It is that. That that we rejoice over. Father, I thank you for this this reminder to us, this, this truth. It is so easy for us to, to be joyful and to talk about and dwell on and think about the things that we can see. The successful surgery or getting over an illness or having children, being married. Providing, making money that provides to build your church, all of these things that that you have ordained and that you have brought to fruition, those are things that we can see. Father, your Son tells us these are not the things to rejoice over. Rather, we ought to rejoice that our names are written in heaven. And Father, I pray that those in here who do not know Christ, would understand that there is no joy that's long-lasting and certainly no joy eternal that isn't found in and through belief in, trust in, and hope in Jesus Christ alone. All these things in His name. Amen. Let's stand and sing by grace alone. Hymn 83, by grace alone. 83.